Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? If you've been listening each week to the episodes, specifically 6, 7, 9, and 10, then you know that I am giving a spotlight on the Adoptive Voices writing group. Cohort number one successfully ended on May 12th after eight weeks. It is one of the best experiences I have had the opportunity to be a part of, surrounded by other creative adoptees. Thank you to everyone who participated and inspired me to continue in these virtual spaces. This episode features the last of four adoptee writers from that group that so graciously accepted my invitation to be featured on here. Her name is Deborah Michelle Jones. We met through another adoptee who happens to be her biological relative. Yes, Cynthia in episode seven and Deborah are of the same birth family. Amazing. My bond with Deborah was quickly developed and strengthened when we started meeting virtually each month with other female adoptees, respectfully calling ourselves the Adoptee Sisterhood. She is transparent and vulnerable in the hopes that her journey will help someone on theirs. Allow me to introduce you to Deborah, who is as beautiful on the inside as she is on the outside. Before we get started with you sharing a little bit about your adoption story, I hear you have a small reunion scheduled soon via Zoom to meet more family. How are you feeling about that? Yes, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Initially, I I didn't know what to expect, but when I connected the pieces that I'm actually going to be seeing more family, that was real exciting to me. The great aunt that I will be meeting and seeing is the great aunt that I look I look like her. I have some of her features and characteristics because I've seen them in pictures that Auntie Cynthia has sent to me years ago. Well, two years ago. Nice. So that that's exciting. We're ex- I'm excited. I'm real excited. Don't know what to expect, but I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for you. I know when Cynthia first told me she was putting that together, I thought that is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and it happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she put it together real quick. Yeah, that's good. I want to hear your story from wherever you want to start. I'm Deborah Michelle Jones, and I often share that, uh, my full name. Everywhere I go, everyone knows me as Deborah Michelle Jones. Some people don't know they think I like my middle name so much, but it's because being adopted, I was not given a name. My birth mother didn't name me. The agency named me. And so by the time I was adopted at two years old, my mom and dad gave me the middle name Michelle. So it's more of honor to them because they gave me that name. Mm-hmm. I was given up for adoption at birth and it was a closed adoption. In the closed adoption, my parents didn't have any information at all 
about me. But being adopted at the age of two years old, I just remember always knowing that I was adopted. I don't remember a, a special time of them sitting me down to tell me. As a matter of fact, I spoke with my mother last night. And before she fell asleep on the phone with me, um, <laughs> I wanted to ask her if she remembered why they told me so early or were they instructed to to share, you know, that I was adopted at an early age. I, I wanted to ask her and I'm still going to ask her, mm -hmm. but they all they told me when I was young. So I always knew I only remember them sharing, you, you know, she she would have raised you, but she wasn't able to. The circumstances weren't good. They never said anything like, oh, how dare she do this? Or they just talked very openly with me about it. And so living in Washington, D.C., born in Washington, D.C., um, that's where my dad's, my adopted dad's family, entire family lived. So we lived there also, but I was the only child. My mother, which I later found out, had had several uh, miscarriages. Mm. So my mother stayed in the hospital a lot when I was born, uh, when they after they adopted me. Mm -hmm. And my dad was a functioning alcohol alcoholic, so he still worked, but then he would drink. So what they would do is I would stay have they would have me stay with my grandmother on my dad's side, my dad's mother. Mm -hmm. And so I stayed with them um, when my mom was in the hospital. And when I started noticing differences being made was when Christmas would happen, the grandchildren would get these lavish gifts from the grandparents. And I know that I would get something such as undergarments. They would make us open our gifts, not in order, but we would all have to sit and watch the other family or another kid open their gift, a, a cousin. Oh, and I remember wow. thinking, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, she got a she got a Barbie house or yeah. or my cousin Kevin got a car that he could get in and run around in. And I, I remember thinking, oh, cool. Well, when it came to me and I opened up something that was squishy, you know, my bag was small and it was squishy. And when I unwrapped it under the garments, olive oil, um, tank top and bottoms. Underwear. So your your cousins are opening up toys. They were opening up big toys. Right. And you you're watching and then they're watching you open up yeah. underwear. So underwear. so how do they respond? Like like they kept going. They went to the next they didn't say like, oh well they couldn't say let me play with it. Right. You know. <laughs> so I do remember they just kept going to the next person. And I remember thinking, So they didn't have a I look on their face that. like you know no, how kids... if they did, I didn't know <laughs> right, it. I right. know. Like, that's all you got. <laughs> right. like, kids are so honest, you know, like. They are. And it's almost like, and, and thinking back on it now, it's almost like, and I'll share this later, like they were trained. Right. Don't say anything. Right. You know. Wow. And definitely I want to bring that up later because okay. that came out later. Mm -hmm. But they just kept going. And okay. I remember thinking, and I, would, I remember my mother would come over and she would hug me. And my mother, you know, when she would, when she's around, she wasn't real affectionate. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my adopted mother wasn't real affectionate. Only during times like that, mm. she would be affectionate. Now I'm looking back and wonder 
wondering. My dad started drinking a lot. My mom had had enough. Next Christmas, I got uh, <laughs> a fruitcake. And <laughs> I'm thinking, then we're going from underwear to fruitcake. <laughs> to a fruitcake. And I remember the and socks. I did get socks yeah. with the fruitcake. Because I remember thinking, oh, the fruitcake is for my family and the socks are for me. Right. So I had to make that decision within my mind to help me feel like, oh, wow, at least I am getting something, Mm -hmm. you know. But my parents um, would overcompensate when it came to gifts growing up. I always had a lot of gifts. I mean, my mother was real big on that Mm -hmm. because the cousins, they never came over to our home, you know, so they didn't know about all of the toys that I had. Mm -hmm. They knew about the undergarments. Do you think maybe that that you were not getting toys because... The adults knew that you were getting them from your parents. It just popped in my head. I think they did it. And this is how I started looking at it, out of feeling sorry for me. Maybe they felt my dad, because they knew my dad was a functioning alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And on the ladder of success, my uncles and aunts were very successful financially. And my dad always had like a manual job. And oh, so they're giving you what you so, needed. Uh-huh. Oh. I feel like they were giving me what I needed. Okay. But I do remember thinking, you need to come to my house so you can see. <laughs> I have a toy room. <laughs> I mean, I just remember going through that. Right. And the day they did come once, I, I do remember one time they came and they were literally shocked. Because I'm like, I have a toy room. Right. And that, you know, and and they were just like, wow, where'd you get this from? The way I was being treated. You know, my mother saw it and she didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And she put me on a Greyhound bus that I was so excited about riding. Oh, yeah. 23 hours later, we were here in Little Rock, Arkansas, where her family is from. Mm -hmm. So now I'm in the South. We lived in an apartment we didn't have the internet then. And we drove to this dungeon and later found out that it was in a very impoverished part of town. And and I, we moved in it and my mother made it home. Mm-hmm. Everywhere we moved, she made it home. It was eventually became very beautiful. My dad moved here a month later. Mm-hmm. So now I'm here in Arkansas with my mother's family. And my mother's family... I don't know if it's the Southern hospitality or what, but they were more authentic as it related to my adoption. They were they would ask questions like, what's it like to be adopted? How does it feel? You know, and I'd say, I feel great. Yeah, you know, I feel I fine. Know. <laughs> I feel fine. And they looked at it like, okay. And they right. keep going. We play toys, play with our toys and keep going. Right. And then they come back and say, they would ask again because they were coming to my house mm-hmm. and they would see the toy room because they had a toy room here. Right. And they would see the abundance of it. They were like, wow, this is cool. Yeah. So you like being adopted? And I remember thinking, yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> but I started asking my mother questions like, you know, why Why was I given up for adoption? Mm-hmm. And she would answer those questions by saying, Deborah, you know, uh, or I'd ask 
what do you know about my birth mother? And she would always start out saying, well, she was an attractive woman. Mm-hmm. Um, she was about five, seven. I didn't know what that meant, mm-hmm. even though I was in middle school. And she said, but she just wasn't able to take care of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how the story went. And she was consistent. Mm-hmm. My, I would ask my dad, who was very um, a protective and was very, they call him grumpy because mm-hmm. he was, but he would say, it's like he would soften up when I would ask him. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Yeah, she looked nice. <laughs> you know, he's not gonna say a trait. She yeah. looked nice, right? She just wasn't able to raise you, you know. But right. we we got you now. You're ours. Daddy would do more reassurance, but mm-hmm. I felt like I didn't need it because I'm thinking. I mean, I know you guys love me. Mm-hmm. Look at the toys I have, right? You know. <laughs> but um, so the story was always the answer that they gave me was always consistent because I would ask. From time to time throughout my um, teenage years. Right. And I never talked to them about it any more than asking those that question. Mm-hmm. I told my cousin about it. She's my best friend. She became my best friend before I found out she was a cousin. Mm-hmm. I met her in the ninth grade and I began to share basically how my life was before I moved here. You know, how my cousins treated me and and the fact that I was adopted. And Audrey at the time, she knew what adopted was, adoption was. And she took on more of a, you know, I'm sorry you had to go through that. And she became my best friend Mm -hmm. from that moment. But we became best friends almost immediately. And she was the only person I told about me being adopted. She just basically cares for me. That's how I felt like she has two. She had two brothers. She would always say, I wish I was adopted. But she would say it in the sense of because they get on my nerves. Mm -hmm. And then she would always come back and apologize. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it like that. I'm like, no, no, no. It's okay. Right. By the time I got to high school, she and I didn't go to high school together. And so I felt alone again because no one else knew about me being adopted. I didn't tell any other friends mm-hmm. in high school. Do you know um, why you didn't share that with anybody else? I felt like n- no one would be interested. Okay. I, w- I wasn't, I, I don't feel like I was embarrassed. I felt like it wasn't a big deal. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, I does. felt like. You, you weren't uh, ashamed. Were, you just mm-mm. thought it wasn't newsworthy. Yeah, it wasn't. All of my friends had a lot of siblings. Everyone had a lot of siblings. And for my parents to have one child, Mm -hmm. that overshadowed everything. They were like, oh, you're so spoiled. Oh, you always get this. Oh, wow. Don't we get that that a lot? We got that a lot. And I think people resented it. Mm -hmm. I just remember Mm -hmm. feeling like, why are you resenting something I can't control? I can't control the fact that I'm an only child. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> they would always say it in a sense, oh, yeah, you, right. you know, or Deborah, I bet you got the latest toys. Right. And, and I just remember being, I do remember being lonely because it was Christmas. On Christmas here, growing up, it was very lonely mm. because my parents would, over decorate the house and my mom would buy all of these they would buy all of these toys but imagine just sitting sitting there just opening up 
toy after mm-hmm. toy after toy, and I didn't have anybody to play with. Right. right. I wanted, you know, another sibling. Of course, they didn't until I graduated from high school, but that's another story. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I remember my Christmases began to become sad. Um, after he would watch me open the toys, take pictures, then daddy would have to go to work. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom. So it would be me and my mom. Mm-hmm. But um, but when I was in high school was when my mom and I began to have arguments. I thought, you know, this is just, she's just, this is just how she is. And I gravitated more to my dad. He would go to work for 12 hours, come home talk to me, ask me how my day was, and just really just listen and then doze off to sleep. Mm-hmm. Then I went to college. And my parents decided before I went to college that they wanted to adopt more children. Mm. <laughs> I remember thinking, I grew up wanting siblings. Mm-hmm. But you wait until I go off to college. And at that time, I just remember thinking, and I shared it with her. No, I'm not happy about this. I'm really not. <laughs> but it's no big deal because I'm in college and I won't be coming home. And I remember making those type of comments and threats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That I went off to college and I didn't come back home for a while because I ended up getting married in college. Um, I met a guy in college and married him. Of course, I had a wedding, a formal wedding and everything. But and then he moved me away to Alabama and I lived there with my husband at the age of 19. Mm. So I was very young, 19. And he was 23 because he had just graduated from college. And that is when my ex-husband began to ask questions like, do you think you ever want to find your birth family? And I would say, no, why are you asking me that? And that's when I started noticing him saying things like, maybe you need to find out where you came from. And I remember thinking, what are you trying to say? Am I that different? You know, why do you think I should do this? I became hostile about it because at this time, I'm no longer asking my mother questions. Mm -hmm. And you're not Um, interested. I'm not interested. Okay. My uh, my cousin Audrey, she had gone off to the military. So it's like I pushed that down. I didn't have this quest to find out where I came from mm-hmm. until I went through a divorce. Mm. So I was married to my ex-husband for six years. And when he decided that he didn't want to be married anymore, I mean, he was just fed up, you know, and I was fed up, but he him more so. <laughs> you do you and think because, he was frustrated with you that you didn't want to search? Mm-hmm, oh, yes, he was. Yes, he was because he he later explained that he can see the separation. He can understand. I was very insecure. I didn't want him to leave. I was very jealous. I was very clingy. Mm-hmm. I cling, you know, and I was very, very, very depressed. Mm-hmm. I was very depressed. Now I attributed that to just being married to him. <laughs> But I was very depressed. He saw me as being stuck because I didn't want to go any further. I'd come as far as I wanted to go. And there had even been a couple of suicide attempts, too, because Mm -hmm. I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take I don't know what. 
I was just stuck. And I do remember being stuck. He divorced me. He he started, he was had someone else and and he divorced me and that forced me to move in with my mother and my father. And my dad was very comforting. My dad was the one who's never it's okay. You're not the first one who's ever gotten divorced. You're gonna bounce back. You know, whatever you need, I'm here. Your mom is here too. But at that moment, that's when I asked my dad, I said, Dad, do you think this would be a good time to find my birth family? And he said, if that's what you want to do, Deborah, we'll support you. And I said, yeah, I know you will. <laughs> but yeah. it is because something had changed. It's like something had shaken my world. I'm going through a divorce. And it's like all of a sudden I'm wanting to find out Am I angry because I don't know? Mm-hmm. You know, I started listening to the questions, the statements that my ex-husband was making. One night, my mother came in my room and she, I guess my dad had talked to her about it. And she literally sat on my bed and said, I want you to know I love you. I may not ever say it, which she did not. Um, I may not ever say it, but I love you. And if it's if you want to search for your birth family, we support you. And I remember feeling like, wow. And she says, we support you. She says, the only thing I want to say is just be prepared. You know, it may not be what you're hoping for, but we're here for you and we'll support you. I'm so glad they said that to you. They did. That was such that. And that did something with our relationship at that moment. Mm -hmm. Because when she said that, you know what happened? I dropped it. I didn't want to. I didn't want to search anymore. Right. It was like, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, if they'll support me, I'll just pick this up later. Mm-hmm. I'm good. Right. So I went on with life. Mm-hmm. And years later, I got married to my husband, Kadrick, who I'm married to now. And Kadrick was the type, and is the type, who's like. Wow, because of course I told him, he's like, Deborah, that's so huge. Mm -hmm. You know, I I can help you if you want to search. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. And then I had our first son. I wanted to search again. So this is when the roller coaster began. When I was married to my ex-husband, I had suffered six miscarriages. Um, in our marriage, we were married six years, and I suffered six miscarriages. Mm. I was never able to have a child, and the doctors never knew why. They, you know, they just said they were spontaneous abortions, mm. you know, or miscarriages. And I never could have, and that was a big another reason why he said he, he wanted out of the marriage. Okay, because like he said, even dogs can have children. Mm. That was like. Mm. Whoa, that coupled with, you know, why can't I have children or I don't, I wasn't able to see anyone who looked like me. Then I met Kadrick and he really encouraged me, Deborah, you know, whenever you're ready to search, you know, we can do it. I'm here. I can help. I want to help. And I'm like, oh no, I'm good. I'm good. Mm -hmm. Got pregnant with our first son. And that was all I could think about is, Lord, please don't let me lose this child. Mm -hmm. Please don't. Because at this point, it became more of this will be my only relative. This will be mine. This this child is going to be mine. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt. Mm -hmm. A part of me is really me. I never felt like that before. He did fine. He was he was fine. 
but that's what I wanted to search again. So and so when you oh, were in the the six prior pregnancies, mm-hmm. did you ever think about the way you're thinking about your son? No. During the pregnancy, like this is going to be a biological a connection. Yeah, you didn't feel no. that in the in the prior marriage, right? I did not. Okay, I sure didn't. Okay, um, really shoving things down. Mm-hmm. Um. I only wanted the babies, to be honest. At that time, I felt it would save my marriage. Right. That was it. Mm-hmm. But I did get a chance to grieve through all of that because it did, you know, it, the loss hurt. And I did that when I was single. Mm-hmm. It was before I met Kadrick. I went through this period of just really just grieving, losing the ba- my babies. Mm-hmm. But finding out that my body was okay meant a lot, meaning I they didn't see anything that was wrong. Right. So, but when I got pregnant with Kat, with my son Christian, with Kadrick, my husband, this was so different mm-hmm. because this was like every, the circumstance was okay. I mean, my husband was supportive if I wanted to search. So when I, when this child came out, I'm like, oh my God, who's he look like? Who's he look like? That's me. Mm. And that was so amazing. I know. That was amazing. And that's when I looked at Kendrick and said, okay, I want to search. Mm. I'm ready to look. And he was like, okay, let's go. Now, one thing about my husband, he is, you know, he said, here are alike. I didn't know that my husband had set off for all of this paperwork. and He had contacted people to find out what the process was. And he presented it to me probably one night in the middle of nursing my son. And I looked at him and said, oh, no, let's just put this. No, not right now. I'm too tired. I'm too tired right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? So he says, well, it's right here when you're ready. Well, then I got pregnant again. I didn't want to search then because by this time I'm too exhausted right. to even think about it. So it wasn't until my last son when I wanted to start searching again. The second child was life changing. It was just I was too exhausted. Um, the last one, you know, I wanted to do it, but by this time I pushed it aside again because I started working. But when my dad died 14 years ago, that was the final straw. But when he died, it was like, I'm ready to search. Mm. I'm, I'm ready. And it, the search went on, off and on. It was touch and go because I didn't get far until 2017. I turned 50. And I remember saying, it was right before my 50th birthday, I said, Kendrick, I'm all in. I'm ready. Mm. July the 6th was on a Thursday, if I'm not mistaken. My husband and I went to the Superior Court Child Welfare Services, all of this, the courthouse. And I found out how to file to have my seal broken on my adoption, my birth certificate, my original birth certificate, because I never had it. And we have a, a friend who lives here who is a judge, and he was adopted. He's the only other adoptee I knew. He had gone through it. He found his birth family. But one thing he said to me as we were going through this process is, Deborah, I just want you to be prepared that most judges don't overturn a closed adoption mm-hmm. because they're really trying to protect the parents. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, are you serious? He says, I, I'm not trying to not give you hope, but I just want you to just go in knowing that. Mm-hmm. But I've been through it myself and I can help. 
you know. Mm-hmm. And then we had to go to Vital Records in D.C. And I couldn't talk. I mean, literally, Jennifer, I, I wasn't able to communicate. My husband became my words. The lady looked at the chart at my at the screen and I saw her eyes light up like, oh, mm. So she saw something. Right. And I remember my husband, she says, now, what are you wanting to know again? Mm. And I was praying that she would slip up and say something. Right. But uh, my husband's like, okay, my wife is here because I couldn't talk. And the lady is watching my face the entire time. But she eventually said to me, she was the one who said, you need to go and file a petition to have your original birth certificate, the seal broken. And that's how she looked at me. And I walked out of there crying because I'm thinking, oh, my God, we're not getting anywhere. She says, I wish you luck. And she said it with such compassion Mm. because I'm watching her look down at her computer and look at me. And it's like, I wish I could have ripped through there and what do you see? I know, I know. And I know that look. I know that look. Like you're putting me right there because with the adoption agency, I remember post-adoption administrator, I guess, he had that look you're talking about. He's got mm. the file in front of him with all everything yeah. in it. You know, my original everything. birth certificate. God knows what all is in that file because I still haven't seen what's in the file. They just yeah. do like a summary and give you a, a report of what's in the file. Exactly. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And after we did the petition... They were a little hostile. They were ready to get off from work. Mm-hmm. It was on the um, Thursday evening. They were ready to get off from work. And we were able to slide in the, these gates right when they were closing them. Like, here it is. Here it is. You know, it's like mm-hmm. she she knew I was desperate to do this. To speed up my story, it Mark, our, um, our friend here, told us, Deborah, it's probably going to be months before you hear anything. We heard something back in 13 days. And I wrote it down. We It was 13 days later, I get a letter from the um, Superior Court in D.C. And I couldn't open it. And he was like, this is good news. And I'm like, really? He says, they're assigning you a caseworker. And they have agreed to unseal your birth, your original birth certificate after they reach or contact your birth parents. And I'm thinking, oh. How's that good news? <laughs> hey, at least you're get you're getting a caseworker. Mm-hmm. So I got a caseworker assigned to me 2017. I stopped writing. That was the day that we started the search. But what I started doing was recording my conversations that I would have with the caseworker. I was so frustrated. Oh, you're stalling because she's trying to read my case you know, what she can share with me and what she can't share with me. Mm -hmm. She gets back on the phone and she says, now, your adoption was closed. I can't give you any information that will, any identifying information. I can only read you non-identifying information. And I said, okay, well, that's fine. Well, when she started sharing with me these words, she says, well, your birth mother was an attractive woman. She was 5'7". And I remember those words rang out. I'm thinking, my mother used to say that. Mm-hmm. The same thing. She was a little little heavy. And I remember laughing. 
And then the lady said, why are you laughing? I said, nothing. I mean, I've never had this information before. And right. Maybe that's why I'm a fitness trainer. I don't know, but she told me my birth family was overweight. And so she, so she kind of joked with me a little. She said, okay, well, and she had a very calming voice. Um, and she started sharing with me that um, I was born out of an adulterous relationship. Mm-hmm. So the information she's given me, it's like the first time I've had this information. So I'm like, wow. And she said, yeah. And she had no health issues, but she was very depressed. Mm. And I said, excuse me? She said, yeah, It. this paper says that she was very anxious for this to be over with. Because she, and then she got quiet. And then it, she started stating that because I was born out of an adulterous relationship, your birth mother was more concerned about saving her marriage. Mm. And so that's why she and her then husband made the decision to put me you know, up for adoption. So she had gotten pregnant by someone other than her husband. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. She had gotten pregnant with someone else, with my father, mm-hmm. who was her first boyfriend. And I remember sitting on the phone like, um, okay. <laughs> right. Okay, your in, your whole girl. energy has just changed on me. Yes. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there thinking, okay. She said, so that's probably why you won't hear anything. And when she said that, I said, excuse me? She says, yeah. She says, she knows what she did. She, mm. she knows I'm trying, well, I'm reaching out. So I said, she says, but we're going to keep trying. I'm going to, she shared with me the process of how mm-hmm. she had sent another certified letter and all of this. Mm-hmm. She says, so I'll be in contact with you. But if you, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to call me and ask me because I know you have questions. I said, sure. Everything's fine. Okay, great. I get off the phone with her. I go in to teach her huge aerobic class. Mm-hmm. Now I just get off the phone and find out all of this life-changing information. Right. And now I'm standing in front of 40 people. <laughs> oh, wow. A nice size group. Yeah. A huge group. I'm, and I'm like, you guys, we can do this. We can do this. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'll just cry later. I'll just push these tears down and right. cry later. Oh, my and goodness. so I'm trying to motivate all of these people. And just, they didn't know. Right. <laughs> you right. know. Couldn't wait to tell Kadrick. And he's just like, Deborah, wow, you have some information. And I said, yeah, but I want to know how long I was in the hospital. Or And I started having other questions. I want to know if she named me. Did my mm-hmm. birth mother see me? Did she name me? So the next day I called Miss Arnett back. And that's my caseworker. Mm-hmm. She began to share with me, no, you went right into foster care. And I said, excuse me? That was the first time I ever knew that I went into foster care. Wow. I thought I was in the orphanage mm-hmm. because I have a picture of me sitting with a bunch of crib, cribs behind me that were empty. Mm-hmm. Not but with a family, you're saying. Not with a family. Right, right. Exactly. And she began to share with me that I was with a family. And I said, really? But I kept going. Mm-hmm. And then I asked her, did my birth mother name me? She says, no, she didn't name you. She never did see you. So those were the only questions that I had. Mm-hmm. It was maybe about two or three more weeks. I get another letter in the mail from the Superior Court system. And it was basically a status update to let me know where they were on my case. Yeah, the caseworker, she had shared with me I would receive status reports telling me the state of my case. 
and, you know, where it was. Well, that one particular day I received in paperwork from the court that stated that, you know, the case was still open. And at the very bottom of the page, it shared the plaintiff, which is Deborah Michelle Burgess Jones. It says, birth name, Deborah Jordan. And my husband's reading this. So I'm watching his face and he goes, oh, and I'm like, what, what is, because I couldn't read it. There was no way I could read it. And then he, he says, just one second, just one second. I'm like, wait, wait, this is my life. He turns the page. He goes to the other side, the next page. And then he, he flips over his, his eyes get big and he comes back to the front page. He said, Deborah, your birth name is on here. Mm -hmm. I said, what? I never knew my birth name. Mm Mm-hmm. Never knew it. And I said, oh, my God, are you serious? So I called my caseworker. She started asking questions again, I guess, to re- refresh her memory about my case. Because she says, now, okay, so you're looking for information about your health reasons and things like that. Because you don't know your birth name or anything like that, do you? Oh, no, you do know your birth name. And I said, yeah, I do know my birth name. And she said, oh, Okay. And what is that? I said, Jordan. And she says, okay, yes, ma'am, it is. And I said, oh, my God. Now, I had never told that, shared that with her before. But um, when she said that, she goes, okay, well, let's keep going. What, what, else, what else do you need? Now, I remember thinking, um, if I have my birth name, can I find my family on my own? She says, well, yes, you can, since you have your birth name. She says, because you've always had it. I said, no, I just found out. And she said, what? She says, hold on one second. So she started flipping through the paperwork, and apparently she looked at the same paperwork that I was looking at. And she said, we will not mention this again. This is a grave error. Mm. You should not know your birth name. Isn't that, and like, when, that's just crazy to me. That was so <laughs> yeah, crazy. Yeah. And and I'm thinking, what? She says, this uh, a grave error has been made. Mm. And I said, okay. And all I could think of, well, I got it now. So I get off the phone with her and I'm like, Patrick, I can do ancestry. I could do... I could do whatever. I felt like all of a sudden they had a superpower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I can find, I have a name. And Kathy was like, you sure do. And we were so excited. Yeah, I bet. Well, it was a few days later, my caseworker called me. And she called me like at 7.30 a.m., which was before her working hours. And so she was like, um, look, let me just share something with you. Um, I've had several clients who have had success using Ancestry DNA. Um, you have your birth name. You can find your birth family. Mm-hmm. And I'm on the phone with homegirl like, are you being professional right now? <laughs> and she says things to me like, this is, she says, I hate that I have to read this to you like this. I don't like that I have to do this like this. If it's meant for you to find your family, you don't need me. Mm. And I'm on the phone with her like, wow. She says, you don't. She says, because for you to have that piece of information, you can't tell me that God is not in this. Mm. And I'm on the phone with her like, wow. Right. 
and we talked for like an hour. Then all of a sudden, I hear her professional voice. Well, okay, then. Well, it was great talking with you. We'll keep this. And I, I wanted to say, okay, little girl. But she just went back to who she was because she, right. I think at one moment, she started seeing, wait a minute. Yeah. You know, yeah. she deserves to know this. Right. And is it a cost but, to use her, to use that service? It was not. Oh, nope. okay. Because okay. the judge assigned, I was assigned to her from the court system. Okay. So, no, there was no co- cost or anything. Right. So, she didn't have and a dog in the fight anyway. She did not. Yeah. She did not. Right. And so, when she said that, she gave me that information. I'm like, oh, my gosh, she just shared this with me and basically gave me the green light. Right. So, that's, that's what happened. Yeah, that's one. I, I did it. Mm-hmm. I went through Ancestry DNA, and that's when I found Auntie Cynthia. That's how you found Cynthia. And so, you that know, is how. she's, a, yeah. she's a done a conversation for the podcast. Now yeah. everyone will know that you and Cynthia connected, and you would be the first person in your birth family that she yeah. knew as an adoptee. Exactly. Right. Exactly. That is that and that story in it of itself is amazing. You know, I didn't realize how unique it was until you said something about it. Mm-hmm. Because I, I started thinking, wait, I didn't expect her to say, "Oh, I was adopted as well." Right. I'm like, That's when amazing. she said, that, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so she is such is a beautiful so soul, and. I like I can't think of a better person for you to have met first. Is that that is so awesome. And in and the fact that she had already started going through her processes and right. started you know, and she was at a good, good place, place. Yep. for yep. for me. Because she yep. is really man. It, that that if and that's so weird. If you can someone asked me how awesome was it for you to meet your birth mother? This is what I share with people. It was great. Mm-hmm. It, words can't explain it. It just can't. Mm-hmm. But the most life-changing moment was when I met Cynthia. For sure. I saw the that video the you most. sent me, and I just, I watched it three times, back to back, and the tears would not stop of joy oh, watching that. because, And I think it is because I'm an adoptee. And yeah. then I I just shared in that moment with you all. Wow. It's a, just a beautiful moment. It was. It was. And it just, it was, it was just more, it's just something. I told, I was telling a, another guy who was interviewing me about it. He said, I could just, I can't imagine how I was meeting your birth mother. He said, so your birth mother, Cynthia, she's got to be great. I said, no, that's my auntie. Right. <laughs> he probably, he was like, oh, okay. He says, because I see you light up when you're speaking of mm-hmm. Cynthia. I thought you were speaking of your birth mom. I said, oh, no, that's my aunt Cynthia. <laughs> no. And so even though I do have a, a, a I did meet Phyllis, my birth mom, mm-hmm. and she and I did develop a relationship of getting to know one another's to the point to where when I finally saw her face to face, it wasn't a, it wasn't like Auntie Cynthia said, there's no way to describe how you're going to feel. Mm-hmm. And I knew that. It was like, hey girl, finally seeing you. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a music playing 
harps playing like I right. thought it was going to be. Right. <laughs> but it was still surreal. But I still didn't see myself in her mm-hmm. until the day that we left D.C. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had been around her and I kept searching and looking at her face, her hands and everything. And I'm like, I mean, we were both sassy. I could hear that. But right before we left, we had a moment in the grocery store. I had taken her to the grocery store before we were leaving town. And she has rheumatoid arthritis, so she walks leaned over. Mm-hmm. Well, we were in the middle of the grocery store, and she said something to me about how she could tell that I'm not very um, touchy-feely, mm-hmm. which I'm not. And she says, it's going to take time, and I know that has a lot to do with how you you know, were relinquished at birth. And she stood up straight, and we were eye to eye, and that had never happened, and it scared me. Because mm-hmm. that was the first time in in the giant grocery store, we were in a line and we were standing face to face, eyeball to eyeball, and I didn't hear anything else around me. It was like at that moment, that's when I saw myself. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, we hugged, you know, all the way to the airport. Wow. And I couldn't wait to tell Kadrick. Mm-hmm. I saw myself for the first time. Wow. Now, I know you got to go and teach your exercise class. I wanted to ask you, at the time of this recording, you are part of Adoptee Voices on Wednesdays with a couple of meetings left. We maybe, I think we have two more left. Have you had a favorite writing prompt? And, And if so, do you mind sharing it with me? The one that, believe it or not, the superhero one mm-hmm. that we get the other day. That's been my, I've, I've liked, I've enjoyed all of them. That one has been, was really touching to me because it talked, I call myself resilient rebel, rebel resilience mm. is my superpower. Mm. Because out of everything that I've gone through that I've heard people say to me, oh, I don't think I could handle that. And I remember saying in my story, even though I had things that knocked me down, even though there were things that stopped me, the resilience in me would stand up and say, wait, this is my life. Mm. I I don't have a choice. Mm. And so that line stood out to me, rebel resilience. And then I had another one about being enduring, but I couldn't think of another word to title it. But rebel resilience. I like that rebel resilience. I really because like that. Like, I have a right. I have a right to know. I, I I finally got to that point. I have a right to know about where I came from, my history, and I don't apologize. I'm not gonna step on anyone. I'm not gonna hurt anyone intentionally. But I have every right to know, because right now I'm in the starting the search for my birth father's family. Because oh, he is deceased. Okay. So, yeah. Did, did you find, real quick, did you find that you have siblings on your maternal side or no? <laughs> That's so cute. Um, so, you know, I was raised the only child. Right. And then, you know, I was always the only child. And my parents, adopt, my adopt parents adopted three bo- boys. Right. 
But then with my biological family, one full brother. Wow. So she had um, him, and then she met this man mm-hmm. and married him, and he accepted the my brother. But when she oh. told him that she was pregnant with me, he said, I'm not raising another child. I got you. And he basically said, if you have that child, I don't know what I'll do to that child. Mm. But I'm not raising another. So what was the way it was described is that he threatened my life. Right. And she felt that in order to protect me, you know, because he had apparently been abusive already. Right. And when she heard him say that, she said she saw it in his eyes mm. that I'm not, I'm not, I don't know what I'll do with that child. I appreciate so, you sharing that. What I, I really, that was huge. Yeah, that's huge. Yes, it is. Yes. And I do, I did meet my brother mm-hmm. too. Okay. On the phone. I did, I have talked to him and met him. Have you seen pictures? Yes. Okay. I've seen pictures of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have them. Do you but look I don't alike? See me. You don't? No, I don't think we look alike. Okay. He looks like my, he actually looks like my oldest son. Wow. He has characteristics of my oldest son. Mm-hmm. I still don't see me in him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have other siblings. I do have <laughs> half siblings, okay. if you call them. Um, I have at least eight Nine. Wow. I know. I know, right? (laughs) This is on your mother's side. No, four is on, five is on my mother's side. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And the other four is on, the other three is Mm -hmm. actually, is is eight. So it's three on my father's side. Okay. And the one, the siblings on my mother's side, they know about me. Mm -hmm. But of course, my father's side, they they don't. Because you said you were going to start the search for that mm-hmm. side so you have a little bit of information so far. I do. I okay. have a little information. I okay. sure do. I have my siblings' names. I have his date of birth and his name, my father's name and I think I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a lot going on. You, And I appreciate you sharing it today and, and I, I want to thank you for being the first person to become a second tier official Patreon member. That means so oh. much. Your monthly oh. contribution allows me to help finance the podcast so I appreciate your support. And oh, and now you wonderful. know, I really want you to talk about your business. Don't cheat your body personal training services. So you're, you're a personal trainer. I'm a personal trainer. I've been one for 20, 20 years. Wow. And I've been a corporate trainer at Blue Cross, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield for 15 years, where I've trained throughout the company. And But I've always had my business on the side. And once the pandemic happened, my business really blew up. It had to happen because Blue Cross, we closed our gym mm-hmm. because of the pandemic. Now I train here in my home. It looks like I'm getting ready to have another gym location. Oh, that's so fantastic. Yes, Congratulations. So and you do Thank YouTube you. videos, right? People tell people how, how they can connect yeah. with you. They can connect with me. I have a website, don't cheat your And then I have a YouTube page under Don't Cheat Your Body. 
And I have a Facebook page. Don't cheat your body. Mm-hmm. I don't have an Instagram page yet, though, okay. but um, I will have that soon. So those are the ways they can connect. And I try to post videos regularly and they're just usually videos of my zoom classes because i have zoom classes too and uh my in-person classes yeah i've watched some of those youtube videos and and you are not playing you are whipping people (laughs) in this shape (laughs) i love it i love it i love it yeah i I always tell people my passion is helping people especially those who've never exercised mm-hmm. or people who say, oh, well, my mother had diabetes, so I know I'm going to have it or I, my mother was overweight. Part of my story is I never had uh, high blood pressure or any illness illnesses. I never knew my history, my medical history mm-hmm. until the age of 50, 51. Mm-hmm. I find out at 51, there is a history of my mo- birth mother has rheumatoid arthritis and high blood pressure runs in our family. Mm-hmm. So here it is. I'm working out all of these years and living life as not perfect mm-hmm. as far as eating, but I didn't, I, I never knew my history. So I couldn't let that stop me. Right. So I always share that with people. You may have a propensity or, you know, however what runs in your family may run in your family, but it doesn't mean it has to stop you. Right. It really doesn't. So right. don't cheat your body out of the opportunity to do what it's supposed to do for you, That's which right. is to live. That's right. Mm-hmm. Don't cheat your body. I love that that yep. name. Well, Deborah, thank you so much for taking the time out to have a conversation with me. I really appreciate you so much. Oh, thank you for asking. And anytime I'm I'm here, and I've enjoyed our meeting and everything and I love our conversations yeah they, they're really good and we we kind of ran out of time because I wanted to talk about the sister uh, adoptee sisterhood which hopefully will be an episode in the future where we can share that that um, yeah. once a month we meet via zoom which is a really good good experience mm-hmm. and I think people need to hear more about that because people can form their yeah. own groups how many is really four of us right now maybe soon to be five but it doesn't have to be a big group and people can create their own space to get together and support one another as adoptees yeah exactly it can be done yes so thank you and I'll talk to you later okay All right. bye 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 Deborah and I had many more laughs during this conversation that time wouldn't permit me to share, but I hope you got a glimpse of how she has a way of putting things that resonate deeply with me. One of the many blessings in her life is a supportive husband, partner, just like Cynthia has in her journey. They both have someone to give them much-needed support during a time such as search and reunion. I want to give a special shout-out to Kedrick, Deborah's husband and Mark, Cynthia's spouse, for being in my sister adoptee's corner every step of the way. I too was very close to my dad who adopted me, and Deborah's description of her loving father's support is a beautiful gift. Even her mother came around to embrace the importance of Deborah deserving to know her beginnings. And the caseworker assigned to Deborah's search may have deviated from her professionalism and duties 
But as adoptees, we believe it is an awesome thing when that happens. When I think about Cynthia being the first person that Deborah would meet from her biological family, I get chills. I cannot think of a better person as an adoptee herself to speak to in reunion. I feel that they will forever have each other as blood relatives to navigate this thing called adoption. I'm glad Cynthia crossed my path, and now Deborah too, because I'm a better human being as a result. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Deborah Michelle Jones, and we look forward to sharing more about how our monthly Adoptee Sisterhood group is one of the most empowering things we do for each other. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review, subscribe, give a rating, tell a friend or someone who you believe might find value in it. Remember to share this podcast on social media to spread the word. Hashtag Adoptee Land. <laughs>